What a glorious morning we've had so far. So Bob Russell tells this story when he and his wife went to visit his son. And his son was test driving a brand new car. And he was sharing with him how frustrated he was. He could not figure out how to get the speedometer to change from kilometers to miles per hour. And so that night they decided, well, let's go get ice cream. And the son said, hey, we'll have to take two cars. So why don't you and mom follow us? And off they went. And um, next thing you know, that dreaded blue light flashing in the rearview mirror. Some of us are more familiar with that look than others. Um, but they got stopped by a policeman. And the father's like, man, it didn't feel like we were going that fast, but he was going the same speed that his son was going in front of him. And the officer gets up to, the, to his window and says, hey, uh, do you realize you're going 58 miles per hour in a 45, but you hang on, I'm gonna go deal with the car in front of you. So he goes and then talks to um, his son and his son is like quivering. He says, officer, I know this is gonna sound like a line, but this is a brand new car and I can't get it from kilometers to miles per hour. I have no idea how fast I was going. And the guy behind me, that's my father and he doesn't know what he's doing either. So um, y'all, we're all following somebody. And if we're not following somebody, then we're leading and someone's following us. So the question is, do we know who we're following and do we know where they're taking us? And if we realize that we're in the lead car, do we recognize that there are others following us? And where are we taking them? So this Advent, we've been talking about finding and looking and following the light of Christ. We started talking about the darkness that we are surrounded in and this gift of this light, this birth of Jesus that breaks through and shines in our world that God has given us. We talk about the importance of trying to find that light and for us to follow it. And today, we're going to talk about the importance of helping to lead others, invite others to also follow that light. Hear the word of God found in 1 Peter. Chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who are God's own possession. You have become this people so that you may speak of the wonderful acts of the one who called you out of darkness into his amazing light. Once you weren't a people, but now you are God's people. Once you hadn't received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, since you are immigrants and strangers in the world, I urge that you avoid worldly desires that wage war against your lives. Live honorably among the unbelievers. Today they defame you as if you were doing evil, but in the day when God visits to judge, they will glorify him because they have observed your honorable deeds. This is God's words for all of God's people. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Speak to us, Lord. Speak to us once again in the waiting the watching, the hoping, the longing, the sorrow, the sighing, and the rejoicing. Show us your light in these dark Advent days 
and walk with us until the day of your coming. Amen. So I can't get this out of my head. I've been thinking about this for four weeks now, and I've been waiting, knowing that the time to talk about this was going to be on Advent week four. But it was in Pastor's Roundtable, a gathering of folks that meet with me every Monday, where we talked about way back preparing for Advent week one, when Keith Tuttero, one of our faithful members, asked the following question. Do we join in the collective lament? Do we claim others' lament of darkness as if it was our own? You see, back in week one, we were talking about Psalm 80, which cried out about the perils and the struggles of living in the darkness and needing God's face to shine on us and to save us. From the beginning, you see, he realized that this light is not just for us to bask in and enjoy, but it is intended for everyone. But do we recognize that truth? Do we look around and notice the people struggling, still living in darkness? Or do we make a mad scramble in order to get ourselves into that light? You see, Advent is a cyclical reminder for us each year that this light is a gift to us from God. It is not our destiny to bask in the light, nor is this light something that we have earned from our great deeds or our amazing accomplishments. No, we must remember that the birth of Jesus is God's gift to us, God's way of bringing light into the dark world. And this gift that we are about to receive once again is a gift to be shared. So I ask again, do we look around and notice those still living in darkness and claim their lament, their struggle, their dark experiences as our own? Do we work as hard to help others out of their darkness as we do ourselves? So as we explore how we can help share the gift of light, we look at a text from 1 Peter that helps point the way for us this morning. As we remember that Jesus has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light, we are called not to stumble around in the darkness anymore, but let that light come and restore order. This text also uses a phrase that taps into our Wesleyan roots. John Wesley loved to remind people that as followers of Jesus, you are part of the royal priesthood, the priesthood of all believers. That we're all responsible and able to lead others into the light. We don't have to be ordained to be part of this royal priesthood. Our baptism is what makes us chosen people, children of God, part of that priesthood of all believers. God believes in you and me, and God believes that we can do it. This is both exciting and a huge responsibility. But this text contrasts the life of believers with the life of unbelievers. The end of this passage has a special reminder for us believers. That part of leading others out of their darkness and to follow the light, that we are to be an example for the people of the world. Live honorably among the unbelievers, verse 12 says. And by doing so, when Jesus then comes again at his second advent, 
than all of the people of the world that have observed your honorable living, your honorable living, will then glorify God right alongside of you because of your witness, because you helped lead them to this glorious light. And yes, scripture is talking about you. Y'all, it's not me, it's not Jeff, it's not Patty, it's not Laura, it's not Vern or any of the clergy. It's all of us, you included. So the question becomes, how do we lead others into this light of Christ, right? What does it look like? And I think there's a lot of different ways that we can do this. One can lead others to the light by showing a concern for others and then asking them directly. For some, that's a little off-putting, but it does get to the point. One woman was describing how she had moved into a neighborhood, and a neighbor came up and knocked on the door and welcomed her, did all of the pleasantries of welcoming her into the neighborhood, and then was, like, not leaving. <laughs> and finally, she got around to asking the question she wanted to ask. She was like, she asked, are you a believer in Jesus? And not necessarily everybody's uh, way of, of, of getting at this, that took courage, but it is a pathway to help lead others to light by asking directly and inviting directly. But another option is to recognize that the choices we make matter, and those choices people are watching them, and they have impact on folks, and over time, over time, this can lead people to the light. So an example of this is, uh, of how our choices matter, is, uh, comes from a story by Leo Tolstoy, and one of his short stories called Two Old Men. And in this tale, there are two Russian men who are in fact growing old, but they decide before their life ends, they want to do a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And so they pack up everything that they need and they start on this journey and they are walking across the continent to get to Jerusalem. Well, at one point they enter into this village and it's weird because there's nobody around. They enter into this lone hut that they see and it's in complete darkness. And as their eyes adjust, they realize it looks and it smells like death. They open up, one of them opens up uh, the windows, and they realize that the people are laying on their beds and they are just barely surviving. And so um, one of the men tells his friend, hey, um, I'm going to stick around here. You, you head on off to Jerusalem. I'll, I'll find you. I'll catch up with you. And the one that stays realizes that the whole village is struggling, like they're all just hanging by a thread, and this was going to be a bit more of a task than he realized at first. But he stays, and the other friend goes on, um, heads on to Jerusalem. And he waits for a while, but his friend never gets there. So eventually he heads back to Russia. And as he's walking back across the continent, he comes upon this village that starts to look vaguely familiar to him, although it's a bit different. And he looks around and he realizes this is the village where he left his friend, except there's men and women and people of all ages. They're milling around. Their animals are milling around. The harvest is um, planted and growing. It's a completely different village than when he left them. And so he asks, he said, what happened? And in simple innocence, one of the villagers said, a man stopped along the way and gave us back our life. 
So the story concludes with both men back home sharing with each other about their pilgrimage. And Tolstoy is not painting a story of a black and white, of a good person and a bad person. It's much more complicated than that. We know that. But it is a story that reveals that, that one man looked around, realized what was happening, recognized the need, and paid attention to the need. He chose to pay attention to the needs. He claimed the lament of their darkness and their suffering. And through the choices he made, he showed them the light and brought new life to them. So how do your choices help others to follow the light of Christ? It's not the only way we can do this. Another way that we can lead others to the light is by helping others in need. So it might not be a slow witness. It might be a dramatic act of kindness. And here are several examples of how that can bring light into people's lives. Um, one of these stories is about a police officer who um, decided that she wanted to um, um, donate part of her liver to someone that was in need. So Carolyn Becker from uh, Colorado did just that. And the recipient was 11-year-old Clyde Hoffman, who was suffering from a disease. But soon after the uh, um, transplant, he began to get better. His body responded. But you know what? Officer Becker not only did that, she turned around and helped raise $10,000 for this family to pay for the procedure and the treatment needed for Hoffman's ongoing care. Or what about Michael Esmond from Gulf Breeze, um, Florida? who decided he wanted to impact his community, and so he ended up paying the utility bills for 36 um, families in his community. Uh, you see, he was a, a veteran himself, and he remembers having a Christmas where he had no gas, no, no heat, no, no power. And so he wanted to pay it forward and help those who were struggling in their literal darkness um, this Christmas season. And so because of him this year, there are 36 families that are not going to get a cutoff notice. Or what about five-year-old Caitlin Hardy in Vista, California? She ended up selling cocoa and cookies and raised $80 and was able to pay off all of the outstanding um, lunch um, dues uh, for all of the kids in her school. She was able to pay all that was owed um, at the lunchroom because she realized that um, this act of kindness could bring light and joy into the lives of her fellow classmates. You get the idea, right? These acts of kindness, especially when we connect them to our faith in Jesus and our desire to live after the example of Jesus, are ways that we lead others to the light. I think a final way that this can happen, that we can help others to follow the light of Christ in their life, is by living a steady witness of Jesus' values. And that steady witness then tells a deeper story um, for folks that are looking for meaning in their own life. It doesn't have to be just this one act of kindness but models that value what Jesus taught us, for instance, the power and um, the importance of sharing with others who are in need. So in his book, The Case for Christmas, Lee Strobel shares this powerful story while he was uh, working as a journalist for the Chicago Tribune. And he, is, uh, he was uh, a um, self-pronounced atheist, and he was following this family that this um, struggling family from a poor part of town during the season of Christmas. 
And he just learned so much from this family as he observed them. The Delgadas, 60-year-old Perfecta and her two granddaughters, um, Lydia and Jenny. They had been burned out of an already gross, roach-infested sort of tenement house. And they were in a two-bedroom apartment. And when Strobel walked in, they literally had nothing They had the clothes on their back, like a handful of rice and a table and and chairs. And that was it. Literally, that was it. And yet there wasn't this sense of despair in this home. There was a sense of of hope and of peace and this expectation that um, she talked, Perfecta talked confidently about her faith in Jesus. And you see, they literally had nothing. The girls had two, um, they each owned a short sleeve dress and one gray sweater between them. And they had to walk about a quarter of a mile to school every morning, but they would share the sweater. So one would wear the sweater halfway and then take it off and give it to the shivering sister to wear the rest of the way. They had nothing. And yet she could talk to Strobel about the fact that she did not believe Jesus had, had abandoned them. And there just was this sense of hope. Well, Strobel completed his article and then moved on to his next assignment. Uh, But he couldn't shake them out of his mind. He kept thinking about them, particularly as Christmas Eve uh, rolled around, about their unflinching sort of sense of God's providence in their lives. And in his words, he said, I continue to wrestle with the irony of the situation. Here was a family that had nothing but faith and yet seemed happy while I had everything I needed materially but lacked faith. And inside, I felt as empty as their apartment. So that Christmas Eve, Strobel decided to to go and pay them a visit and to see how they were doing. And when he did, he was amazed at what he saw. Because you see, readers had responded so generously to his article. So when he walked into the apartment, instead of what he had seen originally, there was furniture, there was a rug, there were appliances, there uh, was a Christmas tree, there were wrapped presents, there were this food, and there were lots of winter clothing. They'd even sent cash. And so to see them respond to this was fascinating. Um, he, he, here's this atheist experiencing the generosity of Christmas um, among these believers. And so he asked him, he's like, okay, what do you think about all of this? And, and when he looked and see, to see what they were doing, he realized, oh my gosh, they were actually preparing everything, most everything to then give away to their neighbors. He said, what are you doing? Perfecta replied in her halting English, our neighbors are still in need and we cannot have plenty while they have nothing. This is what Jesus would want us to do. And it blew him away. Because if he had been in their position, if he had been in their shoes, he would have hoarded everything. He asked Perfecta what she thought about the generosity of all of the people that had sent these gifts. And this is what she said. This is wonderful. This is very good, she said, pointing to all of the the gifts around them. We did nothing to deserve this. It is a gift from God, but, she said, it is not his greatest gift. No, that we celebrate tomorrow. That is Jesus. To her, this child in the manger was this undeserved gift that meant everything more than material possessions, more than comfort, more than security. And at that moment, something inside of him wanted desperately to know this Jesus. 
because in a sense, he saw in Perfecta and her granddaughters, Jesus himself. They had peace, poverty, he says, while I had anxiety despite plenty. They knew the joy of generosity while I only knew the loneliness of ambition. They looked heavenward for hope while I only looked out for myself. They experienced the wonder of the spiritual while I was shackled to the shallowness of the material. And something made me long for what they had, or more accurately, for the one they knew. Y'all, he was desperate in his darkness and he longed for the light of Christ and the Delgados by living a life of leaving no one behind led Strobel to the light. So the point is, we're all about to receive once again this gift of Jesus Christ. The light that breaks through the darkness, that leads you out of your own darkness. So how will you share that light and lead others into the marvelous light of Christ? Because it's not yours and yours alone, it's not. We're called to bring our brothers and our sisters along. So how can you lead someone to the light? For you are a member of the royal priesthood. You can do this. The question is simply how.